You are now tuned into the Review a New Podcast. I'm your co-host, DJ. I'm your co-host, Devin. And here we like to go through the filmographies of our favorite movie makers and look at them through a modern lens now that we're all grown-ups who have lived more of life and stuff. And uh, if you end up liking this episode and you want to support the show, consider supporting us for only $5 a month on uh, the Review a New Patreon where you get to hear other exclusive episodes that aren't available publicly yet. So, yeah, with that preamble out of the way, let's get into today's movie. Yet another VHS mainstay for me, Mel Brooks' 1991 film, Life Stinks. Now, have you seen this movie before? Not only had I not seen it, I had not heard of it. I had really? not, I didn't know anything about it. Going in, I was a completely clean slate. Okay, okay, so yeah. this is like the same way that we both were for uh, 12 chairs. Yeah, and uh, now that I've seen it, knowing that this was like one of your VHS mainstays, mm-hmm. this is, I think, the first time I have been worried about... Because... Uh, <laughs> like, 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 worried about my taste in well, movies? Like, no, I mean, <laughs> usually... Like, I feel like we're usually in agreement over uh-huh. Like, we agree most of the time, and even when we don't agree, it I don't feel like we've had any major disagreements over something that was, like, very near and dear to Oh, no, heart. he's gonna tear it apart. I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not... I mean, here's the thing. It's a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. There's only so bad a Mel Brooks movie can possibly true, be. True, true. It is definitely my least favorite Mel Brooks movie yeah. that I have ever seen, including Silent Movie and Twelve Chairs. Uh, it, it's it, it's not a parody film. Uh, it's not, and I was talking to so I, I mentioned to my wife that you know I said I feel like it's the only Mel Brooks movie that I've seen that's not a take on something, and she said, mm. "Well." It like it producers was, wasn't like parodying anything directly. Well, that's true. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, the producers. But even then, the producers had like, even though there was the, an element of a the parody movie itself, The movie itself wasn't a take on it, but then the show was like it was like taking on musicals in mm-hmm, a way. Yeah. And with this, apparently, there was. Um, and I guess I'm not well-versed enough in 80s movies to be able to name any titles, but there were a lot of the sort of riches to rags stories. Oh, what you um, think they're trying to go for the... Uh, uh, I mean, um, I guess Coming to America is sort of, uh, sort of yeah. that, but not exactly. Oh, well, I was just thinking in general, like, 80s movies, 80s movies about greed is good, and, you know, the Gordon Gecko, like... Well, except with this, it, it is the greed is bad. But yeah, yeah, but, I, like, taking on that 80s yeah, I mean, ideology, There's you know? definitely a theme... But it's not um, it's not a pastiche or an homage or a parody, which yeah. I've gotten used to seeing. But that's not what my problem was with it. Um, I think, and some of this is very subjective t- taste stuff. Like, this is a movie that has a lot of comedy in it, but also has some serious, like, actual serious moments. Yeah, like, really um, dark moments. Like- right, the okay so uh, were you about to say something well just that so that was a tonal thing that i was not expecting from a mel brooks movie that was weird um but also the the theme of it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit and i felt like Mm. there was um i felt like it got a little toothless near the end and Mm. there were okay i want to hear this because again like i've absorbed this like forever and ever as a movie so this is like just like etched in my brain and so So, you and someone like coming at this completely new like i want to hear what what you're thinking i'll I'll just lay it out i'll just lay it out what was weird to me so 
the beginning of the movie is we have this, you know, CEO real estate developer guy. Um, what's his name? Uh, Goddard, Goddard Bolt, an obvious stand-in for Donald Trump, yeah. that type of name. And you know? he's he's just a horrifically bad person. We learn that right off the bat that he's, um, you know, that he is, uh, you know, completely sociopathic. That his his lawyer tells him, well, oh, yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> we'd have to clear cut miles of rainforest, and it's the <laughs> only place where the the last remaining members of this tribe live and we'd have to close a funeral home with 180 elderly people in it to do this and he and yeah. he just keeps saying so yeah it, there's one in particular where, where he goes like um in order to get him to move on anything uh there's one in exchange where the guy goes like uh but you know the old the old people are bedridden or either dying he's like so it's like um well it wouldn't look good in the papers and he goes like you're right. Do it at night. You know, yeah. it's like the sort of like the only thing that moves him is the idea of being embarrassed. You know what right. I'm saying? We establish right off the bat he's this horrible person, and then on a bet he ends up. Agree- oh, yeah, bet with Jeffrey Tambor. With uh, Jeffrey Tambor, yeah, it's yeah. weird seeing a young Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> young Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. But he's still balding. Yeah. yeah. But so he he ends up betting that he will live in this slum in the worst slum in LA for 30 days. Now the timing on this was weird because um I got the impression that a lot of the movie had taken place within like 2 or 3 days and then all of a sudden it's and it's 28 days later yeah, and yeah, we're at the right. end of it which was very weird. But anyway, right at the beginning we're introduced to this slum and he gets dropped off in this slum where he has to survive on the street with no money not telling anybody and, and, who he is yeah and this place looks bad like as soon as they pull up to the uh as mm-hmm. soon as the limousine pulls up to the street like if you look off to your immediate left there's like a, a bum like drinking alcohol while yeah. like falling out yeah you, know? you have like, people who are su- like for one thing the street's crowded yeah it is crowded with people who all seem to be in really bad straits um, there, yeah, there's people like nodding out on the street. There's, you know, it, it's, it's filthy. Yeah. Everything trash brown, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you have this like very real grittiness with, you know, this extreme poverty, this horrible, just litter everywhere and filth and, um, and grime and gr- yeah. And it's very, um, like it, it's, you know, you want to, like, take a shower after you see this. And there are many parts of the movie that really do, like, not shy away, including a part that basically, we'll we'll talk more in depth later on about it, I guess, but where a character that we've come to love dies. Yeah. Um, And it's it's not played for laughs in any way. It's a very serious moment. Um, And so you have that. And then at the same time, the love interest is a very adorable manic pixie mentally ill bag lady who has, you know, perfect skin and perfect teeth and very clean looking hair. And, you know, her mental illness mainly just seems to be kind of a put on that she uses because she decided it's easier to act crazy. And and it's treated as kind of like a ba-dum-bum for for the ending of a lot of scenes, right? right? And she, and I mean, there is a degree to which, you know, a little tiny cute lady living on the streets would have to act crazy in order to protect herself. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it does in some ways make sense that it's a put-on, but it's like, she 
you know, she's this person who's been living, I think she says it at this point on the street for eight years, does not look like she's been on the street for eight years. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, she wears a lot of clothes. Like, she wears a lot of layers of clothing, but it, that it's like, she's not, she's healthy, she's got good teeth, even though we see at one point the way she brushes her teeth is by just, like, rubbing her finger on the front of her teeth. Yeah, and there's one scene, remember, they're just in that warehouse filled with lots of clothes, and it's just like, wait... If you have this place, why I, were you ever living in that place? Yeah, that you know, was like, confusing as to whether that was like yeah, what that place was. I, how I, did you know? I what think it might was? be a warehouse that she could like break into. I I thought it was maybe like a closed down, closed down like back lot for yeah. like a local like theater place where lots of costumes and stuff. Oh, were. maybe so or that, and maybe you know the deeper commentary on uh, the the rot of society where I, we're not paying yeah, for theater I, and you know because she was a I, dancer she, and that's what the big thing of the scene was she danced with him at that moment yeah yeah but i mean essentially you've got this woman who's supposedly been on the street for eight years having been in a what she describes as a continual nervous breakdown and yet she seems healthy like physically healthy clean strong um not addicted to anything not dealing with any dent like not dealing with bad teeth not having a racking cough she's just an older that, looking woman and she older than even, normal like you know whatever I mean, even that, I mean she looks yeah. like she's in her 30s like she, yeah. she still looks pretty ingenue and she's um yeah and like her her mental illness is basically just her acting real quirky um and she doesn't like again even like her hair looks clean there the way that the homeless are regarded in it it's like yes it's bad to be homeless but also there's a little bit of the like oh but he you know found out who he really is and found out what real life mm. and what's really important living on the streets part of the reason that i'm saying like this is my least favorite mel brooks movie because Mel Brooks has, you know, it's such a high bar with mm -hmm. him. It is such a high bar. For sure. So, I don't think this is a bad movie. And I think in a lot of ways, it is much better constructed than some of his other movies. You know, with the unevenness of History of the World. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, even some of the others. You know, it's, it's very well-paced. It's well it's a well-written well-made screenplay there's a lot of good comedy in it it's very funny the characters are really likable the characters you're supposed to like are really likable the yeah. characters you're supposed to hate are really hateable yeah um so i don't think this is a bad movie but it just i didn't like it as much as i liked the other ones because i mean i also kind of hate dramedy like i like the Okay, so here's here's the scene that I kept coming back to thinking about this is mm. when we were talking about history of the world, um, I was I mentioned that you know I actually got emotionally affected by the Inquisition scene because you know yes it's a big like you know show tune number but at the same time we're watching Jews get tortured to death and I feel like for me that was so affecting because the real thing being commented on was something very real and horrible and the more over the top and sort of quote unquote in poor taste the humor was and the more you've got you know mel brooks like just gleefully hammering on jews locked in stocks and hammering on their knees it's like the paint 
you could feel like all this pain getting turned into toothy jet black humor. Yeah. And that to me is more affecting than hey we're gonna have a bunch of jokes but oh now it's a sad part and this is serious i get and what you're saying what like because felt... the, the special parts where they like specifically just go all in with like a slapsticky humor thing right but then like put them here's so, the darkness of it yeah so specifically the moment when this one character dies is you know kind of comes near the middle of the film and it's the only moment like that that sort of entirely well, there's two moments, um, and and with both of those, really, it was like, I just found it kind of irritating, I guess, because mm. I'm like, if you, like, I trust Mel Brooks to make me feel something by taking a serious subject and just ripping it apart with vicious humor and being able to laugh at it and then go, oh, fuck, at the same time. Okay. And the... The, 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 instead, the we're gonna be really funny, but now here's a sad, serious moment. To me, that felt like something from a lesser comic. Mm. I think it starts off strong enough with uh, Goddard Bold Industries, like, trying, like, uh, unveiling what they're going to do for, like, the new generation mm -hmm. of the, the lot that they're trying to buy out, right? And you see, he, he orders his, like, model to come down in. And crush the the poor neighborhood that that was originally there. Like that's kind of like an image that is Mel Brooksian and yeah, kind of like starting and, and off the, with that. And the absolute filth on the street and like having him like try to eat a you know chewed up, possibly spoiled piece of meat. Oh yeah, and you see like a bit of it fall off yeah, of the thing. Like that, I feel like if the movie had maintained that tone and that mentality throughout. It would be different, but it just felt like it. It got sort of conventional. That's mm. what it felt like. It became very conventional. And and you're right. So like plot threads do feel like they just kind of like happen. Like okay, with Jeffrey Tambor, he is the villain of the movie, and I think he does a great job at being like the. You know, he acts like he's the folksy, like, I'm the guy who came from this city, and uh, but I made good, and I made my billions, and, you know, you're, we're on the same level, Goddard Bolt, but you're this kind of guy who already came from privilege. Yeah, so. there, was, there was a pretty great conversation early on where they're talking, and he says, you know, well, I came from nothing, and, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have my father hand me uh, an inheritance, <laughs> and Bolt says... Uh, he says, Are my you... father only left me five million. It's nothing. Yeah, and Jeffrey Tambor says, nothing is nothing. Yeah, and but like, and that's funny, but like, oh my God, isn't that a thing that like Trump actually it said? I like, mean, you, well, I mean, I think it was, um, yeah, there was that thing with Mitt Romney, um, you know, saying like, oh, you anybody can do it. Just get your parents to lend you $10,000. And like, like oh. there, there's, there is a group of people who really doesn't think that $10,000 or $5 million is anything. Yeah, yeah. And Molly, who's the love interest, again, like she's, she acts weird, but she acts weird in the way that like that quirky theater girl, you know, mm. acts like she doesn't seem like somebody who's schizophrenic mm. or severely manic. Yeah, but you do get her backstory at one point of her like the reason why she is homeless is because like she was reliant on a man she, at one point. She was point. reliant, like her husband left her and she couldn't yeah. get a job and um you know, so and she, she uh, he left her with the bills, right? Like she does nature. have real tragedy, but yeah. the way she's presented is as this quirky acting woman who, again, looks clean, looks healthy, 
um, and doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a drug addiction. She's she's not addicted to alcohol. She's not. She doesn't have any serious physical health problems. Yeah, because we do see a drug. Right, and then later. and then you have these two characters who are sort of secondary, who are sailor who is adorable. Yes. Uh, sailor who kind of he kind of reminds me of like a little dog because he's got this like long. <laughs> and then the like, sailor hat. He, yeah, like he looks like he looks like a little like he looks like a little Scotty dog, and he's adorable. Mm-hmm. And his name is Sailor, and he's very sweet. And, and his face is very red. <laughs> yeah, and there's Fumes, who is mm-hmm. called that because he's an alcoholic, and he is also one of the you know more likable characters. And so Sailor and Fumes are kind of these like secondary characters. And at one point, so Sailor is the one who dies. Spoiler, yeah. whatever you've been listening to the podcast for long enough, you know we spoil everything. Mm-hmm. At at random, but yeah. uh, Sailor dies midway through. Fumes makes it to the end. Fumes does not die, and then Molly at one point, who seems to be good friends with both Sailor and Fumes, she like tells Goddard like, "Oh, you're the only, you're the only person I can stand." I'm like, "Ah, Fumes is right there." <laughs> what? Like, what? What did he really? <laughs> but so Fumes and Sailor are two older men. Yeah. Um, you know, and Sailor. Seems to possibly be a little unstable. It's not quite clear. Maybe he's he has just pleurisy. Oh well, he has pleur- pleurisy is like a lung thing. Mm. Um, the, oh, I just realized because he dies after coughing a lot, and the pleurisy might be like a foreshadowing. Yeah. Death. Well, uh, okay. So, it, and the reason why that happens is going back to a plot point. Like Jeffrey Tambor is like. So the main plot is yeah, you you need to survive thirty days, and if you can do that, then you know. You get my half of the city that yeah, I was we did, we to didn't buy. say we kind of skipped over, but the reason for it is that Jeffrey Tambor and Goddard Bolt are competing over uh, an area of the city that includes this slum, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're betting over who will have the rights to it. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the scene uh, where it's like the night of a storm that's about to come. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or is it happening, actually? Cause and, it, and, and Tambor decides he's just going to... It looks like Goddard's going to win the bet, so Tambor decides to sabotage him yeah. and, and tells the mission to close. By closing a, a mission, like... So that the people can't get in out of the rain. Yeah, on the night of, and, you know, yeah, raise the possibility that he, he dies because he wouldn't have uh, had the possibility to have the help there. But it's just like, wait, can a businessman on a whim close down I mean, a... Well, I think it's... Like, a church? Like, what? I think it's just one of those things that, like, he, you know, has too much power in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they don't subject us to what exactly he does. We assume, okay, he's got power and means and... Yeah, it just kind of happens. um, But, you know, so my point with, with those two is, you know, you've got Molly, who is called a bag lady, but she is, you know, not really, like, what you're you know, what you might think of as somebody who's actually been on the street for nearly a decade. Mm. And then you've got these two older men who are, like, cute and friendly and nice, but also, like, they seem more legitimately homeless. Mm. But even either of them, like, Fumes' alcoholism is just kind of played for laughs. At no point is he like, oh, and he's got cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's pissing blood, like... It doesn't have any actual, like, negative effects for him. Yeah, because there's only, I think, the one joke I remember is, like, when they bring up his name being Fumes, it's like, uh, 
like alcohol can't like destroy him or or he kills uh, bugs it's with like, it or something like, like that. Like he's healthy because the germs won't live in him. Yeah, yeah. And he says, "Oh, I feel a germ coming on now," and he you know takes a sip. Yeah. He's like dead germ. Like that's basically the only real reverence we get to right. it. Right, and so it's like so sailor until he dies doesn't seem like he seems very happy and doesn't have any problems that affect him again until he dies which is this very incongruous moment fumes has alcoholism but again it doesn't seem to actually have a negative impact on him um and so they are sort of this like next tier and then the rest of the homeless people that we just sort of see around like we see more injuries we see more illness we see more apparent drug addiction but even so we see a lot more like you see people like passing out on the sidewalk in the beginning near the end it's like they're this filthy rabble but there's you're not seeing people suffering i guess is the point what i would have wanted to see from mel brooks is not this however mildly sanitized still somewhat sanitized uh depiction of homelessness and then and softening it in that way and then having the like super serious sad moment of now this character that we like died and isn't that sad i would have liked to have him have characters dying on the street having cirrhosis of the liver having teeth rotting dealing with drug addiction, dealing with all this stuff, and play shit for laughs. Mm. You, like, you, you say we, you want him to go South Park with it. Well, no, not <laughs> South Park. Go Mel Brooks with it. Because, I'm sorry, if you can play slamming a Jew into an Iron Maiden for laughs, you can play somebody dying of an overdose on the street for laughs. You can play mm. somebody with, like, a gangrenous foot wound for laughs. Yeah, you know, and th- the most we get of, like, uh, directly showing, like, uh, uh, the, the the pitiable state of, like, him being homeless is the joke moments of, uh, you know, when he sleeps in front of the really big door in the back of the building and, and it happens. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, you know, and this thing is, I don't say that because I think those things are funny or because I think it's, like, no big deal or whatever. I'm saying that because I don't think those things are funny and I think that what Mel Brooks did so well... I mean, I don't want to say did in the past tense. He's still alive. Maybe he'll make another movie. But, you know, what he has always done so well is um, is he has uh, taken things that are not funny and by playing them for laughs, not made light of them, but rather emphasized the heaviness of them. So you think he went you know, too soft by... I think he went too soft and I think that it's like... You know, you can show me a melodramatic scene of this old man dying on the street, and isn't that sad? But if you show me him dying and you make a joke of it, but in a way that does not shy away from how horrible it is, to me that hits harder emotionally. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the opposite of, okay, you know that fucking, like, Hitler rap from The Whitest Kids You Know? (sighs) Yes. Okay, so the fucking Hitler rap is not funny. Mm -hmm. And here's why it's not funny. It's, like, Mm. genuinely just not funny. Not not funny with a capital. Um, Right, right is just going like oh we're gonna dress this guy up as hitler and have him like rapping and stuff and like isn't that funny because it's hitler it's taboo no big deal don't get like offended right and i think the the humor of and like south park is a whole big discussion so i'm not even gonna try and Mm -hmm. like sum up south but but that sort of quote-unquote edgelord humor of whatever why are you getting offended it's no big deal Mm -hmm. like Part of why I think that stuff is so is so weak sauce 
is, and why Mel Brooks is not weak sauce, is Mel Brooks is not sitting there making a number about the Spanish Inquisition and then going, and I know I keep harping on that, like obviously there's other examples, but that's like what I'm coming back to. He's not making that number and then going, oh, why are you offended? Whatever, it's no big deal, it's just a joke. He wanted to offend people, like genuinely, because so many of these people who like want to offend don't really want to offend people. What they want is for people who agree with them and think that people who get offended by that stuff are stupid to agree with them Mm. and then to like whine and cry when somebody is like, hey, that's not cool, right? But like Mel Brooks wanted stuff to offend people, not for the sake of... I mean, I'm assuming, I obviously don't know his motivation, but I'm saying based on what he did, it seems that the motivation was to offend people, not to be like, oh, you just weak pussy, you're just offended by everything, you snowflake, but to be like, yeah, this is offensive. Yeah, yeah. This is horrible, because here's the thing, if you, yeah, like, okay, I'm like coming up with this freaking thesis of comedy right now, <laughs> but if you want to drive home that something is horrifying... The best way to do that is to horrify people. Mm. And what's more horrifying is an old man dying on the street and isn't that sad and we're going to be very serious and reverential now? Or, oh, an old man died on the street and let's play that for laughs. Let's, like like have the some, comedic nature of how we dismiss like, the poor. Well, like, right? let's have some slapstick with his corpse. Let's, like, yeah. have, let's have pigeons come and start eating his eyeballs. That's horrifying, right? Like, if that had been played for laughs, that would have been horrifying. And in yeah. that horror, then we as the audience are horrified, which is the correct response to a homeless person dying on the, the street. The, the main scene that you see when, when it, we really confronted is when, uh, so yeah, he le- it, it, like it's been the night of rain, and then he leaves to go he, buy he a goes clinic. To try and find a clinic, yeah, and yeah. then the next day they can't find him, and they find him. He's on the sidewalk. Yeah, and uh, the the main thing I remember happening from that is that really tugged at me the most was Mel Brooks finding him, seeing him like the homeless man, like seeing Sailor on uh, there by himself, and then like instead of any sympathy, it's just like you just see the shop owner go like. Oh man, someone get this stiff out of here, you know? Like, yeah. come on, get Adrian got to see a dead body. Like, it's affecting my business. Get him out of here. Da, da, da. Like, seeing like that guy talking was a strong moment in and of itself. In the sense of like, that's the most that people would yeah, care, right? It, like, but you're right. It does seem to the way the scene ends. It feels like nothing well, happens with it because it's just Mel Brooks watching it, him go yeah, and because- like. Because, again, even if this were... And then, you know, we have... Like, the music really, like, pushes the moment more than, like... Yeah. And, like, we have a gag later with his ashes, but that's different. (laughs) That's funny. Mel Brooks did it first. Yeah, right? And I actually do think they did it better in this movie than in Big Lebowski. Um, But we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, but, yeah, it's like, if this were not a Mel Brooks movie, if this were just any movie, especially if it weren't a comedy... I wouldn't have the same feelings about that scene, but I just feel like by taking, by not, by pulling the punch and not playing that scene for laughs and not using humor there, it actually makes it less horrifying and in making it less horrifying makes it weaker because Mm. I, yeah, it's like, because by being reverential, even if like, obviously the characters around him are like, yeah, get the stiff out of the way, whatever. But the movie treats Sailor's death with reverence. And in doing that, it makes it so that we can feel like, oh, yes, this is all appropriate. Right? This is appropriate. And I don't want to feel, oh, yes, this is appropriate when I'm seeing a man die. Mm. You know? 
So, yeah, I just realized, like, that's what bugs me and that's what I would have wanted. Mm. Um, and I also, like, the ending, I feel like... I I actually thought the ending was going to happen, like, 10 or 15 minutes earlier than it did. Mm. Um, and was going to be a really dark ending. Um, and I feel like it would have been a somewhat overly abrupt ending, but if the movie had stopped where I thought... I literally thought when he's, like, you know in a chair in the hall going, life stinks, life stinks, and getting, like... Yeah, in, in the hospital, yeah, there's a scene and where... And more uh, and more Dorazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or Thorazine, like, however you pronounce it. Yeah, there's like, a scene where there's this overcrowded hospital because, you know, the system is uh, crowded and definitely no parallel uh, issues today I, we can talk about. I do have to say that nurse, the, the nurse who opens the door and goes, capacity! capacity! And she has this, like, <laughs> operatic, like, oh! and you know, that woman had one line and she <laughs> made it work she said the shit out of that one word good for her oh my god but but yeah like i thought that the movie was gonna end on him strapped to a wheelchair overdosing on thorazine (laughs) life stinks life stinks life stinks stinks. stinks. i thought that was gonna be the end and even though i don't think that would have been a perfect ending there would have been some loose threads not tied up i still think that would have been a stronger ending than the ending that was Well, you know, I, I guess I was like, as a kid, like, I enjoyed the resolution nature of it, of course. Yeah, but, I mean, you I know. would have felt like if that had been the ending, I would have been like, mm, they should have wrapped up some loose threads. But That's kind of I can see but, that being like, yeah, ending with that really dark, like, the fade out as you hear a bunch of people saying, life stinks. Well, and, and, <laughs> I, and I feel like it could have, basically, I don't think that should have been the ending, but I think that everything that happened after that should have been different. Mm. So, um, what is it? Oh, yeah, so like you said, we we uh, come to the part where they, you know, uh, they, they want to put uh, uh, sailors' ashes into the sea, but, you know, they can't get to the ocean, so they go to, like, just a nearby place where there's a water stream. And he's like, well, it all goes in the ocean eventually. And, yeah, they, they throw out the his, his ashes, but an updraft comes and just, like, hits all the, the ashes right in their face. So they're just, like, dusting him off while saying, goodbye, sailor, goodbye, sailor, love you, sailor. And there's one boy right, right at the end where Fumes, like, like gets so up in his nose and goes, <laughs> and, like, blows his nose and goes, sorry, sorry goodbye, sailor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, such, it's such, like, that, it was a good, like, funny, dark moment of the, like, they're still trying to be reverential, but <laughs> they yeah. still want to get him off his clothes you know um yeah um and then okay so like i said like you know you you are not liking it from a more like uh deeper artistic uh uh level like comedic comedically yeah, and I'm, how it, i'm looking you know, at it as somebody who is now very familiar with the works of mel brooks and what he's capable of um, and I'm looking at it from that meta perspective of not what's happening in the film, mm. but what is the film doing? Yeah. And, and my problem with it is like, you saw it as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But I, my problem is it is with like more of the plot oh, yeah? and how it feels like it does sort of like nothing is propelled. Like you said, it feels like we get a couple of days and then we're at the end and then she's like, Oh yeah. You know, he goes like, Oh, thank you. God, thank you for allowing me to get through this. And, uh, sorry. I didn't believe in you before, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, like I, I thought about that in the fact that like, like you said, uh, uh, moment to moment feels very episodic. The scene where he's talking to J Paul Getty 
And, uh, you know, he's telling him, like, no, you're not rich. I'm actually richer. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I will say I liked that character. I thought that was really funny. He's a funny character. And then it was weird because, yeah, it's, so this character is this guy who thinks that he's J. Paul Getty and keeps getting in fights with Mel Brooks. And, like, he's really funny and all his interactions with Goddard, with Mel Brooks's character, are really funny. Um, and for some reason, he only comes in in, like, the last bit of the movie yeah, I mean, I, I had that moment when that was going on. This feels a little, like, weirdly shoehorned in. But, yeah, right? And, but, and it leads to him go Like, the scene ends with him being taken to the hospital because he's, you know, it's yeah, like five, I mean, two old guys fighting in the street and, like, they look like they're insane. So, yeah, like, like so, like, scenes end by being transitionally bringing them into things. But, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like... It, it feels episodic more well, than it, it feels, feels like... like this is only tangentially related to the overall Yeah. Plot. And I do know what you mean, but also given that the last thing we talked about before Spaceballs was History of the World, <laughs> it's like anything with a continuous plot to me is like, oh, that's that's a plot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Actually, no, I, mean, I, I, I don't have... I mean, I, I think like everything fits together really well, but I can also see why you're saying that because I did feel like the Goddard stuff felt like, oh, this could be a standalone sketch. Yeah, and, and like I said, the thing that, that pulls the plot along is, oh, Jeffrey Tambor happens to pull the strings to close this church, you know, and, and, and that just sideways happens to affect like how, you know, they're able to sleep out. And then um later on in the film, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah. When he goes, uh, there's a part where Jeffrey Tambor's character just goes over to the lawyers uh, in in the middle of all all of this happening and just goes like, hey, what if we just, you know, what if we just gave you, I don't know, just a shit ton of money, you know, for you guys to just say, fuck it, he went crazy Uh and, you know, like, it just feels like. Such an easy cheat anyway that it's like, okay, we could have just done this the whole time, you know, like. I think, so for me, I think that was, A, that was foreshadowed because he gives his lawyer power of attorney at the beginning, which. True. And he does say, we're lawyers. Yeah. (laughs) I love that guy. As soon as he gave his lawyer power of attorney, I was like, oh no. Yeah, there is a sense of like, okay, I do want to say this, this is like, got her bolt, like. Do you have no friends who can vouch for you? Do you have no... Like, at the, at the ending scene where, you know, uh, he shows up because it's the end and he's like, hey, you know, everyone's here to celebrate me. And he's like, oh, no, uh, when you went insane and lost your mind and da-da-da-da. Well, was like, I mean, the issue is that he handed over power of attorney. He handed over, like, it doesn't matter if his friends vouch for him or not. Yeah. He handed over the rights to do whatever with his property. But I mean, in terms of, like, you know, like... Here's this rich man who has no friends that could be like, hey, you know, like... I mean, maybe not. He was a bastard. And that's what I'm but, saying. Like, that just goes to fucking Joe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, he has it coming. Um, but then, you know, so he handed over power of attorney. So that was kind of like, oh, he shouldn't have done that. And sure yeah. enough, the lawyers turn on him. Um, and also, uh, I think the thing with Jeffrey Tambor's character is you don't realize... Like, there's a moment where you realize what a horrible person he is because mm. you know it's, he starts out seeming like oh well obviously goddard's a bastard and jeffrey not... tambor's character <laughs> jeffrey tambor is like he's bad all along but he he's he has the sort of like he gives you the um but i know i have to say this well, because this is what a good he, guy says I don't know, you like know he, like i think this might be where me coming in fresh is uh. like because like you knew he was a bad guy mm. for so long but like for me it's like okay 
I mean, I assume he's some sort of antagonist, but I didn't realize what a bastard he was going to be until midway through, um, they tell him, you know, Goddard got hurt and he's like, oh no, I, I wouldn't want him to get killed. And, um, you know, and he sees, yeah, and he's, he's like, oh, I, I don't know about this. And then as soon as the other person leaves, he turns his chair and starts going, I wouldn't want him to get killed. La, 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 la. And starts yeah, he singing. starts singing like the, the, what sounds like the Italian oh, uh, yeah, well, parlor song that la, you hear la, every time. Yeah, la, 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 You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so like we then realize, oh, And you see this bald head, you know? Yeah, so, you know, he sort of reveals himself to be that bad of a person, but I think the thing with that character is he wants what he wants is to is for goddard to lose the bet like what he wants is for goddard to probably get killed or give up or be humiliated in some way so for him to go to the lawyers and say like okay i'm gonna give you money to betray him that's the last ditch ever because he wanted to win he wanted to prove that goddard wasn't tough enough to live on the street yeah and i think he um like the, him scheming for that happens after the beeping goes off. It it it, it right. It's like it's, when he it still goes off under thirty it. seconds, but the yeah, we could fudge the numbers. I think and like make it so that well, I'm not sure they explicitly say let's fudge the numbers, but yeah, they, he says well let's call it thirty, and they say no because his his lawyer was getting it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like that's when he starts to go. Oh, maybe he does have a chance of winning this, and I have to actually be more proactive. Mm-hmm. But oh, like uh, earlier in the movie, like Jeffrey Tambor. You know, he is such the like I'm the I'm I'm the good billionaire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I came up from the the poor and now I'm proving something with my life. And you hear like little bits of dialogue where he'll say stuff like, uh, you know, uh, he'll say like, uh, uh, like, oh man, I I was born right there, and you know, like I, it still gets me down to this day. Oh. And like he does the immediate like, oh, I just have to take a second to because I'm I'm really remembering. And then immediately he has that moment he, where he's like, it's fine, it's okay. Like you know yeah. that sort of like, no, no, no. Like I'm powering through this. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it's such an act. You know what I mean? He's, he's definitely very unpleasant, and I feel like knowing that Jeffrey Tambor is a creep who sexually yeah. harasses people. Yeah. Um, it's but, hard to know whether i would find him that unlikable if i did not know that about the actor Mm. but i think i would have i think he's pretty effectively just unlikable because he also keeps doing this thing he does this a few times where he'll come into somebody's office and go like oh oh should i not be here i should go i'll go i shouldn't be here oh yes i shouldn't you know know, i'm sorry for interrupting while standing there yeah it's it's just like and 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 then he'll like walk away and then come back in can i just give you can i just take a minute of your time yeah yeah. but like the funny thing is, is like Mel Brooks's character like knows at at a certain point like when the first time he does it like they go like guys should, should we do something and Mel Brooks like stops and goes like no no give him a second and so like Mel Brooks sees through these phony things that this guy is doing but he's still clearly doing it because he has a reputation that he is you know keeping up with yeah. with this facade you know yeah. what I mean like. So, like, even if you obviously see through it, like, even the characters are seeing through the fact that this is being melodramatic. Like, you see his character is doing this because that's how, that's part of his brand. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Leslie Ann Warren, uh, I enjoy uh, her performance enough, but there is, like, definitely, like, ends of scenes where you kind of feel like all you had to go on was the absurdity of her acting like that. 
and then move on. Like, especially with the scene where they're at the soup kitchen. Yeah. And, and it's just like, oh, uh, like, if I ever go, you know, they're all talking about death and, like, you know, that guy's 11s are up in the back of his neck. When you see the two things poking out of his neck, that means he's a goner. You know, Sailor says that. Yeah, right? You, yeah, it makes you go, man. And it makes you touch the back of your neck. But, um... Uh, uh, and then Leslie and Warren, you know, well, everyone's Somebody talking. Somebody says something about I wanted the fumes and sailors say they want to die peacefully and they're sleeping. Exactly. Goes, Nobody dies. And then she does this over the top, like loud death scene. Yeah. Basically just like a and death version of like when Harry met Sally scene. Is, like is, that was literally the thought that popped into my head. It's just like the diner scene, except instead of coming, she's dying. Yeah. And there's. Which is Elizabethan slang for coming. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Little death. Petit, uh, petit yeah, more. Petit more. Um, like, let me, anytime, like. If uh, uh, if in Shakespeare you see the phrase like "Let me die in your lap," it means I'm not coming. Yeah, art corner with re- yeah. the review new podcast. Yes, um, but, but it, yeah, it just found that kind of annoying because it's like and, and like at least with that scene, it's like the joke of it is oh, someone being very sexual and like oh, I'll have what she's having. With this, she just like pretends to die and then and then you know Fumes just says man I don't I ain't never going to sleep again but it's just like that's not really that great of a joke and then also what happens next is she just like lie there pretending to be dead or she's yeah, just like and, well and anyways I'm gonna get back you know like it's just such a yeah, dumb brum bump of an ending you know and it's weird because it's like yeah it's realistic that again a woman who looks like her who's living on the street would act like that to keep people away yeah. and she explicitly says at one point that she likes being, you know, she likes having a nervous breakdown because it keeps people away. But it's just not, like, it's not funny. Did we get to the uh, the cat ballet? The cat ballet? Not cat, like a meow, like a, like a, like a, What are you referring to? The what cat is... The cranes. The the cranes crane. aren't cats. Why did you no, say it like that? Cranes. No, I, I, well, I thought it was more like a Jurassic Park moment. No, no, no. <laughs> Except Jurassic Park hadn't no, come cat, out yet. The cat, their brand, the brand of. Oh God damn it! Get out of here! Boo! <laughs> Boo this man! <laughs> the cat. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Why they you? Have, like, they have like a Transformers battle with two cranes. Yeah! 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 Um, no, that wasn't what I was gonna bring up yet, but that is a, that is an enjoyable enough moment, because it's, it's very clearly very like a, silly. a sort of like a hairy, ha- see bread, cu- bread, ah, look at I'm you, I'm having a night, at one point we literally see blood coming out of the neck of one of the, cranes. yeah, after like, it's been bitten into, yeah. yeah, it's such a great, like, who's that guy, Harry, Harryhausen, the guy who did stuff on a, uh, uh, right. Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like, yeah. it's sort of like stop motion sort of stuff happening. So that's definitely a fun moment where uh, the the homeless people basically, um, Jeffrey Tambor, of course, gets his gets his way and uh, is going to demolish uh, this, you know, place where all of these homeless people are. And the homeless people, you know, they're thinking like, all right, well, here's another day where we're getting moved away. You know, it's going to happen yet again. And, and Mel Brooks, you know, takes the microphone and goes like, wait a minute. You know, like, guys, we gotta fight. We gotta fight for our rights. We gotta go in there and, you know, like, uh, face these people and show them that we're not gonna take this anymore. Everyone goes, and walks away. Um, But then it takes uh, 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 Molly's character to come in and see, like, wait, guys, they've got food and they've got TV cameras. Let's show these assholes what they're doing to us. And she's like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, like, let's go. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, so yeah, then they, they go in and raise hell. They, uh, you know, take control of, uh, well, don't take control, but they just like crash the party, take a whole bunch of hors d'oeuvres, yeah. uh, a bunch of gags with that. And it was a little, I don't know, I felt like weird about that scene because it was like, it's a little bit like... Definitely hey, playing them for mud-covered, like, 1920s level hobos, well, you know what I'm saying? it was like, they're homeless, so clearly they have no idea how to act, and like... Yeah. You know, it was it was treating them a little bit like... It felt like the scene would have played the same way if they were, like, monkeys out of a zoo coming and doing the same mm-hmm. thing, and it was a little uncomfortable. It felt a little... I understand. But there, there was kind of a funny thing where this like old guy start like this old homeless guy starts dancing with an old rich lady. Yeah, and and then like by the end of it they're in love, which was yeah. kind of weirdly it, sweet. Even though they they still do it, the joke of like the you know she's like oh I can't believe I fall in love with you oh my and then you know it turns and she's like Ugh. you know it's like mm-hmm. still that sort of like oh but we hate each other but love but you know Goddard like is threatening Jeffrey Tambor. He ends up picking him up with a crane and dangling oh yeah yeah somehow he doesn't rip this shirt from the back with that thing that was some magical realism i'm willing to put up with for the sake of comedy but it was more the like okay but you can't just physically threaten somebody into saying (laughs) something and then have that like hold up in court yeah especially on television like you just (laughs) did it on television right like you, you can't you can't just like physically threaten somebody and be like say you take these backseats yeah <laughs> and then have, you know but it does end up working out for him which was a little like okay but i feel like the scene was was less satisfying because it still took a court ruling to actually change anything yeah. and like dangling jeffrey tambor in the air did not we've been saying jeffrey tambor because i did not bother remembering yeah what the actual i can't remember name is. but you're right like there are interesting like, premises that, or something. yeah there are interesting premises that land with a thud when it comes to the final execution of how the scene ends right like, so often i feel like that sort of gotcha final scene involves like a confession or like getting somebody to like emit something without realizing they're being recorded yeah, yeah, or things yeah. like that. So, you know, it's just, okay, the problem is, for Goddard at that stage, the problem is that this guy has gotten his lawyers to basically say, well, we've got power of attorney and we're going to declare you non-compass mentis and we're going to take all your stuff and Yeah, you're, you're insane, yeah, or whatever. And nothing you do to him outside of the courtroom is going to make any difference. So even though, like, yeah, I guess it's satisfying to see him getting, like, dangled from a crane, the thing that actually solved the problem was taking him to court. And so that whole scene just felt like... A scene to have a climax at. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, having the homeless people, like, take over the party or whatever and saying, like, let's show everybody what they're doing to us. Okay, if then the homeless people getting on television saying here's what's happening had then turned to the tide of public opinion and the whole city is like demanding like give these people their home back and blah 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 but again like like basically nothing that happened in that entire scene had any actual bearing on the outcome and i think that's what was frustrating yeah because it 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 ends in uh you know real pulling back from the jeffrey Tambor being uh you know hung up by the crane 
to to be a news story where this news anchor is just basically saying the resolution, saying like, and Goddard Balt did all the good things that a rich person would do if they could just you know fill thirty days in the in the in the shoes of a homeless person. Mm-hmm. So you know he cleaned up uh, the street and and he got a uh, medical. And, uh, you know, mental health stuff for all the homeless people and all that fun stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, um... So it's it's a happy ending. It's a very happy ending. Yeah. And then he gets married to, uh, he gets married to Molly at the church. Oh, so there, there's a callback because midway through we see a wedding at a church and it's like a bilingual church and the English-speaking mm-hmm. preacher comes out and is, like, speaking normally and, like, it's a wedding. And so he's like, you know, have a good honeymoon, don't drink. Yeah, and the know. Spanish dude's translating. He's like, no, yes, it's and not. like, yeah. I feel, like, that part was a little, like, I get the joke, but it's a little, like, uh, and it's because the, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm going to sound like such a fuddy-duddy, but... Like, I understand that jokes don't always have the most realistic premises, but it bugs me when there's a, like, oh, but that doesn't make sense. And it's like, I'm not even talking about it being offensive, which it kind of is. Uh, how, do you, but, how do you mean, though? So, okay, so the Spanish-speaking preacher is, like, translating for the English-speaking preacher. He, I guess he, he may not even be a preacher. He's just translating. So the translator is, like... Speaking in Spanish and also miming, like miming really aggressively. Yeah, like they say, like no infidelity, and you know he's saying no infiel, and, and they're saying, huh? you know the Spanish, like, no infidelity, and he's and like, like, that's really illustrating like sexual moves well, and stuff and like that. Like, so it's just it bothers me that the premise is like, okay, but why would he need to like mime stuff while he's speaking Spanish to Spanish speakers? Yeah, it's it just it's like yeah, like. Uh, and it, silly Latina acting, well, yeah, because it, 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 yeah. it, it felt a little bit like, well, Spanish is just incomprehensible nonsense anyway, so obviously we yeah. have to like also throw in a bunch of like over the top miming. Mm. So I just that, but, but, um, you know, but and, we have this little church and there's a wedding, and the wedding is like how we learn about Molly's backstory because she's like, oh, lady, don't quit your job and. Oh, uh, yeah, when she sees the, yeah, the other people getting yeah. married. Um, and there's this little guy who is, like, trailing after the bride and groom who is a little person with no legs. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's also, he's, uh, they, they, yeah, he, he, uh, is uh, in a scene earlier where, uh, they need to get control of one of the crates, and so, like, yeah. they, they put him later, behind the like, car. we meet him at the wedding, we meet him at the wedding in the middle, and then, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. he plays a prank where he pretends the crane cut his legs off. And, yeah, the guy jumps out um, and he's like, oh, my Oh my god, what have I yeah. done? Uh, so, you know, but, but they get married at that church, and then um, I did think the very end was really, really funny, where they're going off in a limo, and the guy who thinks he's... Uh, J. Paul J- Getty. J. Paul Getty <laughs> starts to, like, hey, you took my limo, what are you doing? I paid good money for that car, yeah. I must have left the keys in the ignition, get back here. And so, you know, previously he had this encounter with Goddard where, they, like, Goddard was, like, beating the crap out of him. <laughs> and 
uh, and was like really scared of him. And so he gets out and Jay Paul Getty is like, oh no, it's him and starts running away. And Mel Brooks, who is now restored to billionaire status, just got married, is driving off in a limo, gets out of the limo to start chasing this guy. Yeah. And then it's just freeze frame on him like running after him. And that was really funny. I just love how it, it, it pauses on, uh, uh, you know, right on them running in a, a really awkward face. But like, as you hear the sound fading out, he is saying, I'm going to get y'all. <laughs> like, that specific, going to get y'all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do think like there's like fight scenes can be some of the funniest thing when you when you've got fights between people who are not like particularly good at fighting. <laughs> that can be the funniest freaking thing because mm. we're so used to seeing fight scenes be like actiony and badass. Yeah, professional. And when you have just like like funny fight scenes, and, and there's the true chaos of you don't know how things are gonna go. Like uh, one of my favorite fight scenes is uh, I think it's in um what's that Coen Brothers movie. Uh, Raising Arizona, yeah. where, like, they're in that small uh, uh, RV-looking thing, and, like, John Goodman tries to, like, attack the guy by, like, you know, put, putting his hands up and, like, hitting him over the head, back of the head, but he puts his hands up together and, like, scrapes his hands on the ceiling of, like, yeah. the, the ride, and so he's like, ah! <laughs> and, yeah. like, so the scene plays out like that. I, I also, <laughs> and I feel like, as a very short man, I can say this, there is something really funny about seeing like a short guy going like going after somebody. <laughs> it's, it's it's just it's like, well, what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Lower center of gravity, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So the ending was funny, and you know, I mean, I don't hate this movie. I just don't love it, and I and I wish, I guess, I just wish that we could have seen that Mel Brooks teeth. Yeah, you're right. No, it, it is definitely... No, like, I will say, because, like, again, just because it was the VHS... Uh, uh, yeah, still, you it have that very Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but it doesn't mean, like, I automatically loved it because I definitely would watch Spaceballs over this. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's not get it twisted. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But at the same time, like, it holds a special place in my heart because, like, I have so many of the, the, the gags, like, memorized, and so many of them are like, oh, yeah, we still say that in our household. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, I recognize that, like, like after, ha especially having gone through this journey, and it's funny that, like, I think it's like Spaceballs and this one were kind of the ones that we mainly saw the most yeah. just because we had the VH1s. Well, the VH1s. The, the VHS. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time, next time we get to do this with my child. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. Uh, a movie that I didn't get to see the VHS of until a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> but with Dave Chappelle and, and, and Isaac Hayes. Oh, my yeah. God. Yes, definitely. And, it's and Gary Elwes mm -hmm. looks exactly like he does in Princess Bride pretty much even though it is six years later. Right? <laughs> but, uh, that will be next time, but uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Review A New Podcast. If you want to check out all the other episodes, they're on the either the Review A New Patreon on Spotify, or I've also been uploading them to the uh, on a playlist on my main YouTube Rap Critic page for people's convenience, you know? So uh, definitely get with all that, act like you want it, and uh, until next time, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And money makes the world go round the world, go round the world, go round. Money makes the world go round the clinking, clinking sound. Money, 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 get a little, get a little money, 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 money. Mark, I end up on for a bounce. That clinking, clinking, clunking sound is all that makes the world go round. It makes the world go round.